Man, if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to take a break this week from our book and our study in the book of Acts. And so I'm excited to be able to share with you from the book of Philippians chapter 4, a very powerful chapter. Uh, The title of the message this morning is Jesus is Enough. I don't know how many of you got out yesterday, maybe to do a little bit of last minute Mother's Day shopping, but I happened to pass by a liquor store and on the sign it said, Mother's Day sale, kids come in and get your mom tequila because you're the one that drove her to drinking in the first place, right? Some of your moms can probably identify with that a little bit. So kids, if you think your mom's a little crazy, you made them that way. I promise you. Amen. I get an amen for that one. Jesus is enough. Philippians chapter 4. I know Mother's Day um, is a good day for some. It's a tough day for others. It's a sad day for some. It's a happy day for others. You know, I have mixed feelings about Mother's Day because back in October of 2000, I woke up. I was at Delta State University, 21 years old. Abby and I were married. My son Vance, who's graduating here just in a few weeks, had just been born, about two weeks old. I get up and go to class there at Delta State. It's a Wednesday morning, just like every other day. I think it was a sociology class that I had. And I go sit down. Teacher's taking roll. And about halfway through the class roll, somebody comes into the room and whispers something in the teacher's ear. And then he leaves, and the teacher continues to call roll. So, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Of course, Van Every, I'm usually the last person on the roll, usually near the end of the roll. So he goes ahead and calls through everybody's name, calls my name. And when he calls my name, he says, Mr. Van Every, I need to see you. Um, I'm like, okay. So I get up, and he said, somebody's out in the hall waiting to speak to you. And I step out into the hall, and there's a, a man there I'd never seen before with a state trooper. And he, uh, they bring me into this little bitty room off to the side, which just for future reference, guys, if you ever have to counsel somebody, it's not good to take them into a little bitty closet, little bitty room. So my heart's just beating out of my chest because in my mind I'm thinking, okay, the cops are here, this guy's here. I mean, what have I done wrong? I've done something wrong, right? And I sit down and he says, Mr. Ben I don't have any other way to tell you this, but your mother's been killed in a car accident this morning. And as you can imagine, or maybe you can't, uh, just, just the shock. Um, and I was in disbelief. I, I was just like, you're, you're joking, you know, what... What a cruel joke to play on somebody. And as you can imagine, our, our world got just turned upside down just, just in, in a blink of an eye. And, and our life has never been the same. So, again, for some of you who don't have your mothers here with you today, you know, it can be a difficult day. Some of you, this may be the first Mother's Day that you have had to celebrate without your mom. So I, I know what you're going through. And, I mean, there's so many different directions you could go about that as far as appreciating your mothers and those of you who still have your mothers here. Obviously, you appreciate them and you cherish everyone, all of your loved ones. You know, those kind of tragic moments really help you learn to cherish your loved ones and and hopefully not take them for granted. The other thing about my mom is that my mom was a just a faithful believer in Jesus Christ. I mean... 
you know, I mean, as far as we know, we, you know, we don't truly know everybody's state of everyone's heart and, and whether or not someone's truly saved or not. I mean, we can kind of fool people, but my mom lived a life of faithfulness. She professed Jesus Christ, and her life was a life of fruitfulness where she showed it, she lived it, she believed it. And I don't think anybody doubted for one second that when my mom passed from this life into the next life, she was immediately in the presence of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so obviously that taught me something that day about the reality of faith. Is that when you can walk into your mother's funeral as a 21-year-old and look at her casket and be weeping tears, but at the very same time, guess what? I had joy. When you can do that, when you still have joy in the midst of sorrow, when you still have hope in the midst of death, you know that your faith is real. And, and I think God needed to show me that today, that day, that your faith is real. Your mother is in the presence of the Lord, and you will see her again. Amen? Now, I began to think about that, and I said, okay. Now, I know today's message, yeah, we could preach a specific message to mothers, and some of you are mothers, some of you are not, some of you are in a different season, some of you are empty nesters, some of you are grandmothers, some of you are single, some of you haven't had children, some of you are just men, obviously, so you can't, you don't qualify for the mother, so I'm like, how are we going to do this Mother's Day message, but, but the beautiful thing about this message today, and what Paul's going to tell us here in the book of Philippians chapter 4, it applies to every single person in this room, that no matter what you, who you are, what you're facing, or where you are in life, Jesus Christ is enough. And what I began to think about was this. I said, if my mom, who was a faithful believer in Jesus, if she could come back today and share what she knows now with us, I think she would share this message. I really believe that she would be able to, to tell us and and encourage us through the principles that we're going to find right here in the book of Philippians chapter 4 that at the end of all of it, Jesus Christ is enough. He's all we really and truly will ever need. Ultimately, He is enough. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to to pick up in Philippians chapter 4. And I'm just going to kind of work through this passage together and share with you some of the principles that I find in this passage that is so encouraging this morning. So if you see with me, Philippians 4, verse 1, Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He says, I treat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. These were, these were faithful ladies in the church. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is that as Paul is writing this letter and he's trying to encourage the saints there and he's sending a message to the people there in Philippi and he's, he's telling them to entreat these particular ladies and it's amazing what he says about them. He says, they have labored, they're co-laborers with me in the work of the ministry. He says, they have have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. So the first thing is that I want you to see that we must remember our eternal destiny. Their names were written in the book of life. Their names were written 
in the book of life. So as redeemed children of God, we have an eternal destiny. We share the same destiny. This is one of the reasons why I believe that there should be unity and love and harmony in the church fellowship. Because if you don't like somebody that you go to church with, you better get ready because you're going to spend all eternity with them. Right? If we can't work out our differences here on earth, we're going to be pretty miserable in heaven, which I think that's an impossibility, but you get my point, right? Like we need to be able to work through things here because we share the same destiny. We're going to be living in, in the all eternity with one another, with all those who share the very same destiny because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, having redeemed us and given us the opportunity to share eternal life with him and with one another forever. After your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, I like to think of it this way. These ladies, these women, it says their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. In the book of life. And I I like to picture this. This is not out of the Bible, but this is the way I like to see it. Is that there are books in heaven. We know that, right? And there's the book of life. And I I have a beautiful picture in my mind is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we put our trust in Jesus and we're born again and we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, I have this picture in heaven that Jesus takes a pen and he writes our name in his book in his own blood. In bright red letters. Because the blood of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, nothing can overcome the blood. And nothing can erase what Jesus has written in his own what? In his own blood. And that's the way I like to put, picture this. And again, this is part of why I believe in the eternal security of the saints. That once you're truly saved and born again, and your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you will always forever be preserved and saved, and you can't lose that. You cannot lose that. So let's thank God today that Christ has made the way for you to be with God in heaven for all eternity. Now I know if we're talking about mothers today, I mean, my goodness, let's, let's just back up. I, I want to just share this. This is something that somebody wrote, and I think it's pretty appropriate when we're talking about mothers today, just to get a little bit of a perspective. But it says a mother is the CEO of the home. They run, they, know, they need to know how to be money managers. They need to organize schedules, be master communicators, plan and shop for food, clothing, household items, all at bargain deals. They got to clip coupons too as well, right? Prepare well-balanced meals, interior designer, you're a landscaper, lawn care provider, pet caretaker, auto maintenance mechanic, be Mrs. Housekeeper, wash, Put up clothes, certified teacher, assistant coach, taxi driver, project manager, vacation holiday planner, spiritual leader, model servant, Sunday school teacher, nursery worker, disciplinarian, cheerleader, social media navigator, counselor, nurse, recreation coordinator. Not to mention, you got to continue to keep the romance going with your husband at the house. Stay in touch with the latest fashions and most of all doing this while working a full-time or part-time job. Can anybody identify with that? That's what our mothers do. And so it's very easy to see how especially someone, a mom, can get overwhelmed and get anxious. And, and, and it's easy to, to get weighed down by all the worries and the cares of this world. And so one of the ways that I want you to fight against this is that you can remember what God has promised to you and to me and to all of God's children that Jesus Christ has secured for us through his death and his resurrection eternal life. He has made the way for us to be with God in heaven. And as the old hymn says, the things of earth will grow what? Strangely dim on that day in the light of his glory and grace. 
Now, you may not believe that right now because you're just overwhelmed and you're weighed down by it. But the thing about it is that when we reach heaven, when we're in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we're in eternity with Him, all of the worries and cares of this world will just completely fade into the distance. As Paul says, these light and momentary afflictions are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that we will experience with Him on that day. You know, my dad, I, I give him credit, he has a couple of quirky sayings and things, but I've been in very stressful situations in my life, and he'd say, you know, don't worry about it. He says, you know, because in 100 years, nobody will ever remember what you're going through. Let's think about that for a second. I mean, what, whatever it is that's so just... So weighing you down, it's got you so worked up, it's got you so stressed out, it's got you so anxious. Think about it. In a hundred years, nobody will ever know that even happened. I can't even remember what happened ten days ago. Not much what's going to be happening ten years from now or a hundred years from now. And so sometimes just keeping a proper perspective and understanding that we, we know that God is with us in the midst of these trials and struggles and stressful times and anxieties and things like that. But when you keep an internal perspective, it really does help us handle the things that we're going through in this life. So keeping that eternal destiny in mind is very, very important when it comes to wherever it is, whatever it is that you're struggling with in this life. Number two, rejoice in the Lord's sufficiency. Paul gives us a command. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. When the Bible repeats something, that means it's pretty what? It's pretty important. You better listen to it. Now, again, this is a commandment. Paul is not giving us a suggestion to rejoice. He's saying, I'm commanding you, rejoice. It's imperative. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be Anxious, And we'll get into that here in just a second. But I do want to encourage you this morning is that this command to rejoice has so much benefit in our lives, no matter what it is that we're going through. It says not only have our names been written in the book of life, not only has God prepared a place in heaven for each and every one of his children, but also, listen, he never leaves us alone. He is with us right here through every season of life. He is our ever-present help in our time of need, and therefore we have many things to rejoice in. It's a commandment. He is always near, and He's eager to give us His grace at all times. I looked up what the, what the word rejoice means. You know, you could look at a lot of different definitions, but this is one that I found I think is very appropriate. It says, the word rejoice means to delight in the grace and the presence of God. Now think about that for just a second. Is there ever a point in your life when the grace of God is not effective in your life? Think about that for just a second. If Even if you're having your worst day that you've... The day of my mother's funeral was the grace of God operating in my life. Absolutely. Let me ask you another question. If you're a Christian here today, is there ever a moment in your life when the presence of God is not with you? Never a moment, not for a second. Okay, so if rejoice means that we take delight in the grace of God and in the presence of God, then is there ever a moment in our life when we shouldn't what? We shouldn't be rejoicing. 
We shouldn't be considering it joy even when we face various trials of many kinds, knowing that God is always working everything out together for the good of those who love Him, that He's, he's building our character. He's conforming us to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. He's saying rejoice in light of God's all-sufficient grace that He's given us through Jesus Christ and that He continues to shower upon us each and every day, every single moment. We rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in in the reality of His grace. We rejoice in the reality of His presence in our life. We rejoice in the Lord's sufficiency because God is not wasting not one single moment of your life. I want to read a poem written by Ruth Bell Graham, the daughter of... Excuse me, Ruth, Ruth Bell Graham, yeah, the daughter of Billy Graham. It says, take all away, I'm content to know, such love is mine. For life is all too brief, to grieve for pleasures bringing only grief. Give me but you, and it is enough, just so. She's saying, take everything away. No matter what I have to face, no matter what grief I have to endure, She says, all I really need is you. I've heard it said this way. When we realize that God is all we have, that's when we first remember that God is all we really need. So in those moments in life where we get to the end of ourselves and we throw our hands up and say, Lord, I can't do it anymore. Mom's in the room. I just don't know how I can go another day. I'm at the end of myself. And you're like, you don't have anywhere else to turn. But to God, that's the moment when he's reminding you, Finally, I've been waiting for you to come to that point where you realize that I'm the one, the only one, that you really need. He's sufficient. Number three, we need to learn to develop a Christ-like mentality. So we need to be people who have an eternal perspective. We need to rejoice in the sufficiency of the Lord. He is really all our need. But, but then there's also another part of this is that it's developing a Christ-like mentality. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 6 through 9. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. In your request, let your request be made known to God. And look at what it says. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ." Jesus, and then he goes on to say, Now, brothers, whatever is true and honorable and just and whatever is pure and lovely and commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and had seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What, what is Paul talking about here? He's saying we need to learn how to win the battle of the what? The mind. God has given us the mind of Christ. Any of, the, any of you in this room today who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, yes, He has given you His Spirit, but He has also given you His mind. It's a fascinating thing. God's been really teaching me a lot about what it, mean, what it really means to have the mind of Christ, to be able to look at the world through the mind of Christ, through the Word of God, to be able to react and have the attitudes of Christ and to be able to have the wisdom of God and be able to discern things as Christ would discern things. It's really an amazing thing. I think many of us today, and this goes for many mothers, but it also just goes for everybody, I think that many of us fight the mental battles. The mental battles is where we really get targeted, is where we really get hit the hardest in this life. You know why? Because we're constantly having a conversation with who? With ourselves. Did you know that? Think about that. 
You're driving down the road. You're going to work. Who are you talking to? Yourself. I do. Does that make me a schizophrenic? No. But if you think about it, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird dynamic. You're, really, you're constantly having a conversation with yourself. So you're having thoughts that come into your mind and you're processing and you're talking to those things back and forth and in your own mind. You're trying to win a battle of your mind. It's the battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's the battle between believing the truth of God's word and the lies of the enemy or the, or the, uh, the seductive lies and, and uh, appeal uh, and attractions of the world that it's always throwing out there towards us. And so we many times find ourselves consumed with worry and anxiety. Negative thoughts flood our mind. We become cynical in our attitudes. We begin to get worried. We begin, before we knew it, we're, drawing, we're dr- drowning in a sea of worry and anxiety and discouragement and despair. And we don't even really remember how we got there. Now, the thing about worry is Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry. In other words, to worry is a sin. It, it just, it is. Because when we worry, we're effectively saying, God, I don't trust you. I just don't trust you. And we all do it. We all get to points and places in our life where we worry and we, get, we become anxious. And I know that's part of being human, but it shouldn't be something that we allow in our lives and we're okay with. Because let me ask you this question. What problem, what progress have you ever made by worrying about something? Somebody please tell me. How many of you have ever solved a problem by worrying? How many of you have ever made any progress in any situation or circumstance or relationship by worrying about that? You see what I'm saying? But we do it, don't we? So not only is it a sin, but it's completely counterproductive to what we're trying, the end goal that we're trying to accomplish. It's one of the worst things that we could possibly do. Someone once said that worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. Think about that for a second. You come in here, music begins, trying to get your heart prepared for the preaching of the word. You want to you freely worship the Lord and, and just be at peace as you worship. But if you have worry in your heart, it completely quenches. It stifles your ability to worship the Lord. We have been given the mind... Of Christ. Let me give you a couple of practical things that I think, practical approaches that will help you fight and counter this, this problem that we have by being anxious and by, by worrying. Number one, when you're worried, stop and pray. You've never heard that one before, have you? Listen, when you're worried, stop and pray. Now, this is what we don't do when we're worried. We have a tendency to pick up the phone. And let me call somebody and talk it out. Well, that's okay. You may have good friends in your life that you can call and you can talk things out. That's okay. But if you're talking to your friends before you go and talk to God, then that's a problem, right? Because number one, your friends may or may not be able to do anything about it. They may or may not share and encourage them. They may, they may or may not help your worry and anxiety. They may make it worse. But you know when you talk to God about it, it says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. When you go and you talk to God about it, He will bring peace. Sometimes we 
We want to dump our struggles and anxieties on other people. Now, should, should we confide in people? Absolutely. The, the, the worst today is just social media trash where we get worried and we get anxious and then we go on Facebook to see what everybody else is doing and does that always make it better? That usually makes it ten times worse, comparing ourselves to other people and whatever it may be. And so the thing is, is that God wants you to stop. He wants you to be still. He wants you to humble yourselves. He wants you to turn to Him for everything. Listen, this is what our kind of, our God cares about everything. He cares about the big things. He cares about the little things. He cares about the serious things. He cares about the silly things. If you lose your keys to your car, don't worry about it. You know what? We, we, uh, there, I, there was a, something happened to me this, this, uh, this past week. I can't, again, I can't remember 10 days ago. I don't even know what it was now. But it was something simple like we lost the keys or we couldn't find something. And I just I stopped and prayed about it. You know, I don't always do that, guys. I don't. Sometimes I try to fix it or figure it out myself or get worried about it. But I just stopped and prayed about it. And we found it. And everything was okay. And we went on with our day. God cares about those things. It doesn't have to be life crisis situations. It's just everyday life. It's just like a parent. If a child needs something, they're going to run to mom and dad and say, hey, help me, I need help or whatever. I can't find this, I can't find that. Well, we care about that as parents, don't we? Moms, you care about that. How much more does your heavenly father care about the big and little things? Stop and pray. Talk to God about it. Number two, when you're worried, stop and count your blessings. As we sang that song at the beginning of service, we're counting every blessing, right? So many times when you're worried and when you're anxious and when you, you, you're beginning to feel yourself develop a, a negative mentality, you're feeling the spirit of despair that's going to set in. Let me tell you something, a beautiful practice, a wonderful, effective practice that we can always do in the midst of those situations and circumstances is to stop. Again, that's part of it. We just got to stop. And say, wait a minute, God, I truly am blessed. And then just begin to tell him, thank you, God, that I do have a family. Thank you, God, that I do have a roof over my head. Thank you, God, that I hadn't missed a meal. Thank you, God, I do have fresh, clean water to drink. Thank you, God, I do live in a free country. Thank you, God, that I do have the word of God. Thank you, God. I mean, we could go on and on and on. I'll tell you what, let's try it. Tell me a blessing. Shout it out. Let's go. How, why are you blessed? Give me a blessing. Health. Friends. Church. Hot water. Home. Family. Didn't die, Miss Martha. Thank you. I'm glad you didn't die either. Shout it out. Thanks for moms. Y'all get my point, right? And we could go all day long and we would never get to the end of the blessings that we have. And you know what? That's combating, that's fighting the spirit of worry and anxiety in your life. But it does us no good unless we do it. Right? Doesn't do you any good unless you do it. Number three, Paul says just dwell on good things. (laughs) Plenty of bad things out there, right? Plenty of things to get worked up, worried about. So Paul says, hey, these are some good things that you, could, you can think about. These are good things where, where you can take these thoughts captive and, and begin to think about good things. And he, he tells them, you know, true things that are true and honorable and just and things that are pure and lovely and, and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise and 
Again, that kind of goes hand in hand with just counting your blessings, thinking about God, thinking about the good things that he has done for us, thinking about who he is and what he's done and where we are and all of those things, guys. These are very effective ways for us to counter worry and anxiety in our life. Number four, find ultimate security in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.10, look at what Paul says. Now I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned, he says it twice, I have learned The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A little bit later in verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. There is a security that we have. Riches in Christ Jesus. Now, let's just be honest for a second. Financial security is very important, especially to you ladies, to moms, to mothers, to wives. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, when you, when you marry a young man, you want to know that he's going to what? Provide for you. Is he lazy? Is he going to sit on his tail and play video games? Or is he going to be a man that gets out? and works, and makes a living, and provides for his family. That's important. It should be important. By the way, ladies, don't date a guy who's sitting on his tail playing video games. Because when you get married to him, he's probably going to sit on his tail and play video games. Even if you get him out of his mama's basement. Right? (laughs) But there needs to be a commitment to financial security, and we understand that's that's an instinctive need. It's a nurturing personality that our our wives and our our mothers have. Just I need to know that my basic needs are met, that I have a safe home where my children can be safe and protected and sheltered and all of those kind of things. But here's what's happened, especially in our materialistic culture, is that somewhere along the way, the lines between needs and wants got erased. Whereas a, someone that says, I understand that if I just have enough food for the day and a roof over my head and basic health care and, and just basic needs that I have and that I want and they're taking care of it all the way to this other side where, well, they have that, but I don't have that. Well, they live in that neighborhood. I want to live in that neighborhood. Well, they're wearing that, but I don't, I don't have that. And we need more and we need more and we need more and we got to get bigger and we got to get better and we got to get upgrades and we got to get all this kind of stuff. And then we put all this financial stress on ourselves and on our families because we are trying to live up to an expectation that no one put on us except ourselves, right? Getting in debt to impress people that we don't even like. That's what we're doing. We, we, we run ourselves into the ground and get ourselves into financial ruin because we're trying to impress all these kind of people around that we don't even like to begin with. And so that is a problem, and I'm not here to talk about financial stewardship and all those kind of things today because the thing that I want to bring all this back to 
is that instead of confusing our basic needs with unnecessary wants and and not being satisfied because of this materialistic uh, attitude in our culture that breeds discontentment, and let me tell you something, this really goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because God had given Adam and Eve everything that they needed and more, right? Put them in a paradise, placed them in a garden. They had access to everything that they could possibly imagine. Everything was good. They were in great relationship with one another. They were in relationship with God. He says, listen, I'm just going to give you one restriction. You You don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just obey that one command, everything's going to be great. But the, the, the serpent comes along and he does, he tempts Eve and he says, listen, you know what God's doing? He's holding out on you. If you listen to me, I'll show you a better way. He's trying to keep something from you. That's the lie of the devil. And so go around God's way, you do it your own way, and you can find a better way. That's the lie of the enemy. And that's what we see in our culture today. Instead of doing things God's way and living according to God's principles, the enemy is constantly telling us that it's not enough, that God is holding out on you, that it's not fair that other people have more than you do, and that you deserve what they have, and you're to be discontent until you get what they have, only realizing that once you get there, you're still discontent because the problem was never the material need that you thought that you wanted. The problem was in your what? It was in your heart. And it's the very same thing that we deal with today. Now, there's some really good things to understand about security. Security is important, but what I'm talking about is spiritual security. What Paul is talking about here, he's saying God will meet every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about money. He's talking about having the spiritual riches, the treasure in heaven, the peace of God, the joy of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, good relationships with people, having self-control and kindness and gentleness, being salt of the earth, being the light of the world. That's what Paul is talking about. These are riches. These are spiritual riches. These are things that matter. These are things that last for eternity. These are not temporary things that rust and will be taken away from. Let me tell you something. Every time you, the moment that any of us die, everything that you own automatically at that second goes to somebody else. Do you know that? How many times have they said you don't ever see a U-Haul following a hearse, right? Because you can't take anything with you. The moment that you die, everything that you've worked so hard to to, uh, gain in this life, immediately at that moment goes to somebody else. Paul's not talking about material possessions here. He's talking about spiritual riches. Here's something you need to know about that. Contentment can be learned. Paul says it twice in this passage. He says, I have learned to be content, which means that he wasn't content at one point. Just like many of us in this room, he struggled with contentment at one point, but through different circumstances and situations, God, by the grace of God, God allowed him. Paul suffered greatly. Paul went through some very difficult situations in his life. He was near death many times, stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, I mean, imprisoned. This guy had it rough, but God used those difficult situations to teach him that principle that we learned a while ago, is that when you realize that God is all you really have, you remember that God is all you really Need And that's where Paul came to the point where he learned 
how to be content. He's like, okay, Lord, I'm good. Hey, hey, if, if, I, if things are good and I have an abundance and I have a nice place to stay and I have plenty of food to eat, hey, I thank you, Lord. That's great. But he said, I also have learned how to be content in need when things aren't great. It's a spiritual maturity. It's a spiritual growing process. We can learn how to become content. We have to come to realize that our identity is in Christ alone and that we are God's child and that He will take care of us in times of plenty or in times of want. What I think about learning contentment is this. When you begin to understand the character of God, stay with me. If you begin to understand the character of God, you will learn how to become content. Let me give you an example. It's like a a little girl and her mom. She knows her mom loves her. She knows that anything that she needs to the best of her ability, her mom will get that for her and provide for her and be there for her. And so that little girl is going to go to her mom whenever she has a need, and she's going to ask her mom to help her and provide for her, and she's going to trust that her mother's going to take care of her. Now, let me tell you something. A little girl with a good relationship with her mom or a good relationship with her dad, is that little girl going to be anxious or is that little girl going to have, be at peace? She's going to be at peace. She, she's not going to worry. Because she's like, you know what? I know my mom and dad love me. They're going to take care of me. Why does she know that? Because she knows the character of her parents. She knows and understands their love for her. She knows and understands their commitment to her. She knows and understands they want what is best for her. How many times do we as God's children fail to do that? Do we really believe in the character of God saying, God, I know you love me. I know you're committed to me. I know you want what is best for me. And we know just as parents, God obviously knows better than we. Look, just because our children ask for it doesn't automatically mean that we give it to them. There's some things we don't give to our children because it's not what? It's not best. So sometimes we say no. Same thing that God deals with us. He, sometimes we go and asking God for things. Maybe we ask for selfish motivations. Maybe we're just asking for something that God knows ultimately is not going to be best for us. And sometimes He just tells us what? No. And that's okay. Because if we trust in the character of God, we can trust that we know He loves us and He's doing it for our benefit. Right? God has and will continue to provide all that we need. How do we know that? How do we know that God has and He will continue to provide everything that we need? I think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, if God is for us, Who can be against us? Because if God did not spare His only Son, but freely gave Him up for us all, how will He not also give us all things? Are are y'all tracking with me on this? He gave His very Son. He gave His life for us. What more can He give? What more can God give? He gave his life, total forgiveness, the free gift of eternal life, all the blessings that we have in him. 
And what I'm trying to communicate to you is that because of what God has done already for us, we can trust that He will continue to provide everything that we need. Not necessarily everything that we want. There's a difference. And finally, the one word that escapes many of us in this room today is rest. In God's ability. Are you tired? You know, you can be you can be physically tired, but mentally at rest. But you can also be physically at rest, but be mentally what? Tired. And as you lay your head down on the pillow at night, I like to say, do you sleep well? Are you at peace? Is your mind and is your heart at rest? Because if not, then it may possibly and could possibly be that you're still trying to do this thing in your own strength. You're still trying to live this Christian life it's like, okay, Lord, I'll come to you by faith and receive forgiveness and receive your grace. And this is, a, this is a gift of God. God, you saved me. You did this. I'm going to receive salvation by grace through faith, right? But now I'm going to take that and I'm going to go and try to live the Christian life in my own strength. That's not what God's calling us to do. He says, child, son, Daughter, I need you to come and rest in my strength and in my ability. Because what does it say in Philippians 4.13? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ will give us strength for victory in every season of life. I got just a few more minutes and I'm going to read something to you guys this morning. So I don't know when my dad made copies of this, but this is like a journal entry that my mother wrote. Now, Again, thinking about what my mom would come back and tell you today, living the life that she lived and knowing now what she maybe didn't know then. But thinking about my mom, who was a hardworking woman. She taught nursing right up here at Shelby State, Shelby State University or whatever, southwest Tennessee now. She was a mother of four children. We were running in a thousand different directions. And so when she wrote this, I was about three years old. She was pregnant with my younger sister, Anna. She was about, uh, about two or three months out from, from giving birth to her third child. My older brother, Jason, was probably in second grade. And, and I just started reading through some of this, and I just want you to, to see what a, what a mom was going through in, in her day. This is, says Monday, 6 p.m. This is sometime in September. My, my sister was born in, in December she says, little Marcus has been sick. He has a fever of 104. So she goes on and just talking about how she has to take care of me and, and my brother Jason. Listen to this. She says, 
up and down with Mark all night. His fever was like a yo-yo, and he's stayed thirsty all night, but now it's 101, and it has been like this since about four. Jason's doing his homework that he forgot to do last night. Got to go fix his lunch and give them breakfast. A little bit later, it's like the next day, she says, um, I have to find it, but she was like, here it is. Jason missed the bus this morning. I had to dash him up to the highway to catch it. He was so upset about it, but it made it okay. He was so involved in cartoons. I was tending to Mark. We both just missed the bus. I called the bank and the loan is due October 13th. Are you hearing? So it's like a young mom. She's got a, a baby. She's got a sick baby. She's got a son trying to catch the bus. She's trying to do his homework. The loan is due October the 13th. You know, my dad worked out of town. She's doing this basically as a single mother a minute, much of the time, right? And I'm, I'm reading this. And I'm like, you know, this is exactly what many of you are going through right now. But I do want to tell you, I'm not going to go into all the details, but there's a, there's a part of this journal. I, and I don't know, she was keeping a journal maybe for my dad. I don't know who she was keeping it for. But she had the television on at one point, And there's like some, some uh, preacher on TV. And she, she writes about how she just got a couple of minutes in the word of encouragement about how, so, how it's so important to contribute to the work of the ministry and that we're sending the gospel and sending missionaries out to, t- to share the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the world. And, and, and there's, a, there's a statement in here, and she said, let's see if I can find it. I, I can't find it, but she said basically this. She said, I feel like that I'm helping in some way by praying and giving to this ministry. I feel, like, I feel like this is our way of helping somehow. You're a, you're a busy mom. You're in the midst of the most stressful, busiest season of your life. You, you don't have time for a Bible study. You don't have time to get on your knees and pray for an hour. You don't have time to do all those kind of things, right? But there may be a silver lining. There's just something there just for a moment when you have that, just that moment to stop and be still and think about we are making a difference in my own little way, in this season of life. And many of you right now need to be encouraged in that. Ruth Bell says this, If a busy housewife has to clear off a spot for Bible study during a crowded day, she's likely to put it off. But if she has a place where the Bible is always open and handy... When there's a lull in the storm, maybe she can grab a cup of coffee, sit down for a few minutes, and spend time with the Lord. And guess what, guys? That's okay. In different seasons of life, that may be all that you get, but that may be all that you need because the Lord knows exactly what you need. And so if my mom were here today, I really believe that she would tell you, knowing now what she didn't know then, or maybe she did know then that no matter where you are and what season of life that you're in, Jesus is enough. He's all you really need. And we can rejoice in the grace of God and in the presence of God. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on up. We're going to sing one more song. Praise team and band, come on up. Guys, I I know that 
traditional church setting, right, this is uh, invitation time. And I like, to, I like to call it the time of response because some of you may already have a very strong relationship with the Lord, but God used His Word today to, to bring conviction Maybe he, maybe he encouraged you through the Word today. Maybe He set you free from something that you've been holding on to. But you need to respond to that. Whatever it is that the Lord is doing, in the, I do feel like there is a special opportunity during a church service at this particular time that if we don't deal with God accordingly and we think, I'll put it off, and we walk out the door, we miss that. The door, the door is closed on that. And I do think it also applies to some of you this morning who you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may not know what it means to be a child of God. You may not have the eternal security that we talked about, knowing that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Today, don't put that off if God is doing something in your heart and saying, listen, child, I want you to come to me and I want you to be saved. I want you to know me. I want you to experience that joy. I think there's something very important and very special about this time. So this is not just an exercise. We're not just singing another song just to give our band more practice, guys. We're doing this because we're asking God, we're asking the Holy Spirit to deal with each and every one of us on an individual level and say, what is it that He's trying to tell you and teach you right now? And then respond to that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to come up here. But maybe you, didn't, you do need to talk to somebody. Maybe you do need to grab somebody and pray with them. Maybe you do need to come talk to me. And that's why we're here. But let's just don't go through the motions again. Okay? Let me pray for us and we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we're about to sing, The More I Seek You. Because you are a God who is willing to be found. And I pray if there's anyone in this room today that needs to seek you, that needs to call upon your name, whether it be for salvation, whether it be for forgiveness, whether it be for praise and for joy, whatever it may be, God, maybe there's someone being delivered from bondage even today. Just You're setting them free from, from bondage to sin or fear or shame or guilt or anger. Whatever it is, Lord, let us all remember that you, Lord Jesus, are enough. For it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Will you all stand with me as we continue?